Welcome to Boardwalk Sports Talk, the podcast by the Jersey sports fan for the Jersey sports fan. Because in New Jersey, we know you don't like us. And guess what? We don't like you either. Boardwalk Sports Talk. Good evening. It's a very exciting episode, as it always is. This week, we have a Mr., we call him maybe even infamous, Kyle Kovats. Rutgers class of 2013, big Rutgers booster, huge Rutgers fan. Uh, I would say message board rabble rouser. That fair? Sounds <laughs> about welcome. right. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So uh, tell us a little bit about how you got your Rutgers fandom. Obviously, you went to the school, but you are a fan of fans. How did you get into Rutgers and, and what kind of gives you the confidence to be this, this, this big Rutgers voice in the community today? Yeah, so I would say it really first started early 2000s. Um, I was in probably like sixth or seventh grade. I forget what year it was. And it was like one of Miami's like all-time great teams. And I remember I used to always like randomly watch Rutgers games. Um, this was like early Shiano days before they even had a pulse at that point. And I would watch the games and I would just say to myself, they, they might be something one day. And they took like this all-time great Miami team into the fourth quarter. And I was watching that and I was like, Rutgers taking this Miami team into the fourth quarter. And then it just kind of started from there. And then I started following them really closely. When I was in high school, um, I was a freshman, you know, a sophomore and the upperclassmen who had graduated started going to Rutgers. Um, And then I started following the team more closely. They would tell me they had class with like this person, this guy on the team, that guy on the team. I'd be like, wow, that's pretty cool. Like you get to sit in class with these people. Um, again, I was a 15 year old at the time. So that's that the, I used to think these guys were all, you know, like famous people, like, you know, cause I followed the team so closely. Um, and then, uh, and then I, you know, eventually, you know, went up going to Rutgers. I'll never forget. It was my sophomore year of high school when we played Louisville. And I remember being at a sweet 16, watching that game with the girl whose sweet 16, it was her father, her father, I don't think paid attention to the whole sweet 16. We were, it was just sitting at the bar watching the game um, at the Brownstone in Patterson. And, uh, and yeah, watching that game and seeing them win and seeing how crazy it was. And I was like, damn, I'd love to go there one day. Um, and then my senior year, we played the state championship at Rutgers. The night before was Mike Teal's last game. They beat Louisville like 64 three to 14 that night. They put them on a Thursday night. We played the state championship game on, on the Friday. So I remember watching that game thinking, I'm going to play on that field tomorrow. Um, and that was pretty cool. I, uh, you know, I, I originally went to UMass um, my freshman year, fall semester, then transferred over to Rutgers. Um, and then just, you know, started going to school there, you know, got to be friendly with, you know, some of the guys on the team from kids who we lived with, who went to high school with, um, you know, one of my roommates who lived above me uh, went to high school at Logan Ryan. So got to, you know, got, got to know a bunch of the guys and you know, just great guys. And, you know, always heard them talk so glowingly about Shiano. How really, he was just like, you know, he wasn't like easy. You know, he wasn't at the same time. He was tough on them, but um, they knew he had their best interest in mind. And just hearing the way they talked about him, as opposed to hearing the way that other kids talked about, like Chris Ash, you knew when Ash was gone, there was only one guy for the job and that was Shiano. Absolutely. Yeah, he's like the the consummate CEO, right, of this program. There's nobody else that does the job as well as he does. He's a salesman. He's a true executive. He's able to connect with the state. And, and you know, that is what you described there, that connection from high school to college, 
having the the intricacy of like knowing kids that went there, having some connection to the athletes. Um, that's all awesome. Like I actually, you mentioned Logan Ryan specifically, Logan Ryan just moved to Verona, New Jersey. He yeah. down over from me. Uh-huh. And, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to see this guy like at the bagel store one day. And it's yeah. going to be wild because we were at, we were in school around the same time. And then uh-huh. Brian, Brian and I, we were going to classes with guys like J.R. Inman, uh, you know, Ray Rice, Kenny Britt. Those guys were just walking into like, uh, you know, planet earth. <laughs> and you know, we we're taking those courses with them. So I think that is a part of the special sauce that is Rutgers and the state of New Jersey, when you can capture that lightning in a bottle. And the only guy that seems to be able to do it is Shiano. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think a big part of it too is that um, he just has a presence about him. Like when you see him, I'll never forget this either. It had to be, yeah, it was, it was my, going into my junior year of high school, it was after the 2006 season. Um, Shiano, I don't know if he still does, but he used to go down the shore in Bayhead. And I was at uh, Char- uh, Curtis Market. I think it was called either Curtis Market or Charlie's Market. I, I've that. seen him there too. I've seen him there eating with yeah. his family at Curtis Market. Yeah. My, buddy, my buddy has a house down there. I yeah. remember walking in and uh, my buddies knew I was a huge Rutgers fan. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, is that him? They were like, who? I was like, I'm pretty sure that's Greg Shiano over there. And they were like, go say hi. I walked up to him and I was like, I didn't, I'm not like now, again, I was younger at the time. I'm not the type to be like starstruck now, but I was starstruck by him. He just had this presence about him. And I was like, Hey coach, uh, uh, good luck this year. <laughs> and he was like, good luck. And he was like, Oh, thank you. He was like, do you play high school football? And I was like, yeah, I do. He's like, well, where do you play? And I like named my high school and he named the head coach off the top of his head. And I was like, we're a relatively smaller group two school. How do you, my thought process was, how do you know our head coach? But that's just him. That's just the guy he is. Yeah. That's amazing. So Brian actually worked for the guy too, and I think he probably I did. Would you yeah, no, he, he just he 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 commands respect. He's he's exactly what you said. Like the fact that you when you that's actually a great story when you said that he uh, he named your your high school coach like off the top of his head. I'm like that sounds like like he probably had a spreadsheet at one point. It was like <laughs> all right, I'm gonna mem- I'm gonna memorize this, and and he's he's and you know what? honestly, Pykele's like that too. Carl has Carl. Remember uh, when he ran into your we were at the at a football game, right? And we ran into Pykele, and he had recruited your cousin, I believe. And your cousin ended up going to Columbia and playing. Didn't even play for Pykele, but he still like saw him and knew him like immediately. Yeah, Pykele's something else. He's really an amazing recruit. You know, I, I think he's got phenomenal emotional quotient, like great, great communication skills. Connects with people right away, in in much the way Shiano does. He's a little bit less like mafioso than shiano Mm -hmm. what shiano also has going for him is he just looks hard like he looks like half ceo half mob boss and that works in jersey like yeah pikel is a little bit more like um a little bit more like an academic he almost looks like an academic who who also coaches basketball you know Mm -hmm. but he but he's he's definitely a blue collar guy too so he's got that same you know and he talks about that all the time but yeah that was cool that was cool so anyway, we're on, we're on a really good track at this point. I think everybody's pumped following what just happened at Michigan. Right now, let's get into a little bit about what's coming up with Ohio State. Um, before we jump into like the X's and O's and the specifics around the game itself, I like to talk a little bit about like the state of the programs. Um, so the state of the state of Ohio State, effectively. And I think you got to start with this fact that 
Ohio State is as is as much of a football factory as there is in the Big Ten, right? I mean, they've they've been good forever. They were good when we were kids. 2002, they won the national championship with Maurice Claret and Craig Krenzel and Chris, you know, I don't know if Chris Gamble's on that team or a later team, but they just had a, a revolving door of great players, right? Starting with Eddie George through to that team and, and, and well beyond it. Then, of course, they win the first national championship with Cardale Jones and show that like they're here during, you know, for this new generation of football too. They are as, as sort of dyed in the wool, a dominant program as, as you could possibly imagine. Right. And definitely the creme de la creme of the big 10. Now coming into this game, we're like the upstarts, right? Like we're going to, we're going to hopefully challenge them in this game. Um, but not just this year, maybe like for many years to come. So that to me is kind of the, the, the dynamic here. It's like your established power, and, and, and really the past, uh, the past dominance of Ohio State versus what Rutgers can be in the future. You guys agree? Do you see it kind of the same way? Yeah, I do. I mean, one of the things that I see is uh, I, I, I think we're really ahead of schedule. You know, I, I did not anticipate us being as good as we are this year. And I'm not saying that we're world beaters this year, but I do think we probably, I mean, coming into the year, I said, I thought we had a five, uh, you know, top five defense, the big 10, the statistics are kind of, you know, playing that out right now, as we see, uh, I was shocked last week with how we performed in the second half. I thought after that first half, really after the first couple of drives, I said, this is going to be a long day. I thought they were just going to run the ball down our throats. But then, I mean, we, we really throttled Michigan in the second half. It, it was just pure and complete domination. And to know when you look at like the, you know, different ratings, I know 24-7 has like a team talent rating. And it showed uh, Rutgers 70th most, most talent roster in the NCAA and Michigan number 15. And we just throttled them. It makes you think to yourself, what is Shiano and the staff going to be able to do once they get a roster that's in the top 30, most likely? Because I think every single year going forward, we're going to see Shiano recruit, you know, top 30 classes. So once you get in that top 30, I think what you're going to see is, we're, you know, we're going to be on par with like Michigan State under Mark D'Antonio. You know, when every single year they were giving everybody their best shot. You know, there was a number of years in a row where, I mean, they were really taking it to Michigan. Um, they knocked off Ohio State. They went to the college football playoff when it's only four teams. I think when this thing expands inevitably to, you know, it's supposed to be 12, but it might be eight, whatever it might be. I think Rutgers is going to be a team that's in the college football playoff. And I think, you know, we're going to get good to the point where you're going to hear the Ohio States and the Michigans of the world, them start complaining about rebalancing these divisions rather than us complaining about having to rebalance these divisions. That would be, that would be great. Uh, I, I actually wanted to pose a quick question to you guys. Uh, while we're while we're getting into this topic, I was listening to I've been listening to a lot of stuff ever since uh, the Michigan game, and uh, you know Kyle kind of mentioned it. We I think Michigan we earned a lot of respect. Um, you know I think everyone was kind of like, all right, Rutgers is three and zero, it's cute. They haven't played anybody yet. Let's see how they go on the road and play Michigan. And you're right in the first half, I watched that game. I, I'm not even gonna lie to you. I I, I at halftime I drove to my parents' house and I was like, I don't even want to watch the rest of this. Like it's gonna be ugly. And then all of a sudden I turned it on in the fourth quarter just to see where it was at. It was 20 to 13. I was like, what is going on here? I texted my group there. I was like, uh, what, like what, ha what <laughs> happened? What, what, what happened in the second, in the third quarter? But um, anyway, the question is uh, just because we're, we're getting into the time where uh, if people are actually talking about us potentially upsetting Ohio state, which is literally like bananas to, to me. I don't know if it is to you guys, but like, 
the fact that like people are actually like having conversations about that potentially happening Kylie, like you said way ahead of schedule um i do i think we'll actually do it i'm not sure but let's say hypothetically we somehow knock off ohio state um on saturday is that a bigger program is that the biggest win in program history is that better than louisville 06 i think so i mean you're talking about a juggernaut. You're talking about a national brand, Ohio State, a team that's won, you know, national, you know, multiple, you know, national championships, a team that has had Heisman Trophy winners. You know, at the time, Louisville, correct me if I'm wrong, in 2006, they weren't that many years removed from Conference USA at that point. You know, we're talking about a blue blood national program. We're, we're talking about the type of win where it'd be talked about on every show across the country, you know, really every single show across the country, and people would be shocked. And I think it would be a bigger win just because of the brand that Ohio State has and, and the brand of not only, you know, what Ohio State is, but the reputation right now of, hey, they've only lost one regular season game in the past three years, and that was against Oregon this year. Um, and for a team like us that two years ago, you know, was losing by 50-plus points to anybody that we played, to a team that, you know, under the previous head coach was losing by 80 points, 78 points to be accurate against certain teams – to now, just a couple years removed from these things, be able to go and, you know, it's at our, at, in, in our house, but, you know, beat Ohio State, this blue blood. Um, I think it would just be one of those, you know, type of wins that would reverberate across, you know, the whole country. Um, and you wouldn't, you, they talk about it for weeks. They wouldn't just talk about that, you know, nationally for a day. I think that's a story that would, you know, play out for weeks. Yeah, I, I agree. It would be a monstrous win and it would be, it would definitely reverberate. There's absolutely no doubt in recruiting, in the perception. You probably even see um, even like college admissions numbers oh, yeah. as a result of a win like that. But I do think it would be number two behind Louisville. And I only say that because I know that was meant to be kind of a, uh, you know, an intentionally exciting question. But Louisville, that win got maybe, you know, arguably that win set the stage for us getting into the Big Ten. I mean, that was such a massive win. It, it showed that we could carry New York in the, in the whole market and, and capture the attention and like kind of the interest of the whole country. So, I mean, at that time in our program, there was no bigger thing that could have possibly happened for us. And like the marginal benefit that we, we realized as a result of that win, I don't even think you could realize that kind of benefit again in this situation because we were so much better off now uh, at, like at baseline. I mean, we are like the ultimate, as you guys know, we, we are the ultimate winners of conference realignment forever. Like we will never be a bigger winner. Maybe UConn's the biggest loser. Um, Cincinnati was a pretty big loser for a while there, but they, it looks like things are going to be okay for them. Like, you know, we're like, if we're uh, stranded on an Island during conference realignment, a, a luxury cruise liner came and picked us up. You know, that's literally yeah. what happens. So, and I think a large part of the Louisville, large part of it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think we I, we think we crawled against Louisville so we could walk against Ohio State. <laughs> but no, yeah, I, I agree with I, I, Carl. I'm with you 100. percent Like if that if that Louisville game doesn't happen, quite frankly, I don't think we're in the Big Ten. I think we're probably UConn. We're like we're in the same boat as UConn right now. So thank God, thank God for that Louisville win. Thank God for uh, for yes. Greg Chiano. 
I, I totally like it was I was just too good of a question not to ask because like when I heard it earlier today I was like thinking about and there really is great arguments to be made on both sides of the coin like Kyle I, you know what you said is 100% true like I mean Ohio State is literally like that's a that's a program changing win you know right away especially with like the positive like if you just like flukely beat like remember Purdue beat Ohio State a couple of years ago um you know and that was an awesome moment for them but it's it wasn't like I don't think they were particularly good at the time. Like we're kind of really trending upward and this would, I think just literally put everything into like hyperspeed where like, we're literally contending for the big 10. Like, you know, I think we all didn't think it would happen anytime before four or five years at the earliest, you know? Right. But if we beat Ohio state right now, I could see it happening even potentially earlier than that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. In hindsight with those points, you guys make great points. And I probably, probably would agree with you guys too. So, Let's talk a little bit about the kind of the, the horizon here in college football. It's really not even the horizon anymore. It's, it's where we are with, with NIL and, and how Ohio State is using NIL to their advantage with, with guys like Quinn Ewers, where they, they, they you know, lured him away from Texas on like the eve of, of a massive was – it, was it, I forget. It was like overnight, basically, right? He commits to Ohio State – and then announces at the same time he's signing a $1.5 million NIL deal, $1.4 million NIL deal. Ohio State is clearly using NIL, right? They, they have small business owners that are deeply embedded boosters, and they're, they're just using that to further fortify their recruiting. Now, on the same side, Rutgers, our, our boosters, we, I think we have a new generation of people that's thinking about this quite progressively, that is, you know, fully willing and, and, you know, interested in paying guys and using, you know, digital and social media to, to play up, play up those associations and the school. Um, do you think that in the future, Kyle, that Rutgers will have a better shot of competing for recruits given, uh, you know, the, the rules as they are today or the rules as they might be, you know, as this thing evolves? Um, I, I would say I'm concerned. Uh, and the reason I'm concerned is just because of um, there's, there's a lot more, there's just so many teams in our area where I think a lot of the money, like down South, they only have one team to follow, like in, in Alabama or, you know, in Ohio state, they really just, you know, areas like that, they have one team to follow in Alabama. They have one team to follow in, in Baton Rouge, right? In Baton Rouge, excuse me. Uh, one team to follow in Oxford, Right. Up here, there's so many pro teams. And the problem is that, you know, the cost of living is a lot higher here too. Um, so my, my only concern really is, yes, we do have a lot of alums that have a lot of money. I mean, we have, what, the second most Fortune 500 CEOs of any public school not named Michigan. Um, so we do have people with money. It's a matter of, are these people willing to shell out the money? Now, um, I've had the idea that I think it'd be a great idea to, you know, form some kind of, you know, alliance between, you know, Rutgers alums who are small business owners and boosters. Um, and form some kind of alliance there where you could kind of pair the two up. You know, this booster has, you know, $10,000 that they would like to, um, you know, donate in some way, shape, or form. Well, you know, if you look at the, you know, tax law, as far as gifting is concerned, um, you can gift up to something around $13,000, $14,000 a year, you know, with zero tax consequence, and it doesn't go against your lifetime, you know, giving. So why don't you gift that? Now, again, you'd have to talk to an accountant about this, right? But why not gift this to a small business owner who will promise to pay it out, you know, to a Rutgers player, or Rutgers recruit? Um, because the reality is, unless we face the reality, there's some people that want to pretend like this is not pay for play. No, this is pay for play. And the sooner we recognize that and the sooner we embrace that, the better. 
because stop trying to pretend that, you know, these recruits are getting paid because they're going to provide a return on investment. They're not, you know, giving an Ohio state player a car, there's no return on investment for that. You know, you were doing it because you're paying for the kid to come and play at your school. So we need to just recognize it for what it is and, you know, kind of have a realignment of what, you know, kind of boosters priorities are. Like if you're donating, you know, $4 million for uh, just to, you know, make the locker room look nicer, but really no additional functionality, that money's a lot better served paying recruits. Because guess what? When you pay recruits, guess what happens? You get better recruits. You get more wins. You fill up the stadium. You sell more tickets. You sell more beers. You know, you sell more parking passes. You get more, more you know, applications for the school. The return is there. Now, it's not going to be in that booster's pocket, but are they getting a return for, you know, putting a cushion in a locker? No, they're not getting a return for that either. So, I mean, really more than anything, it's a matter of just recognizing it for what it is. It is pay for play and embrace it. Let's, let's pay these kids and let's get them in, you know, at our school and let's, let's win some, you know, national championships. And if I could take that rant and like give that to the Associated Press and have them blast it out to everybody in the country. God, that was beautiful. You're so on point with everything you said. I completely agree. It's, it's a philosophical, right now it's a philosophical debate, right? But it shouldn't be. It's like, this is a clear cut case where if you want to see your team win, invest in the Jimmys and Joes. You're not going to get ROI on these guys other than, you know, basically building this sort of reputation for we're going to pay. You come to Rutgers, we're going to pay. And, you know, you don't have to look that, that far to see examples of this working. SMU did it successfully in the 80s. Looks like they're doing it successfully again now. Yeah. They just beat TCU. They're four and up. I mean, they're, they're luring five-star wide receivers and shit. Um, so, I mean, and they're a good – to me, they're a good analog because they're actually a smaller school, way, way smaller than us. They're private. Um, I think and probably they have more – more engagement at, in the, at the booster level, especially back in the eighties when they were doing the really crazy stuff with like Eric Dickerson, which was yeah. all cool back then. So they probably had more like um, more crazy rabbit engagement than we do, but we have the same base in terms of our, our capacity and our ability to, to pay these guys that, you know, that an SMU has or probably even better. So let's, let's embrace that. Like let's, let's try to disrupt. And the only way to disrupt is to be, is to have aggressive boosters. And I like the idea of the athlete's trust. That's what I call it. Like what you described to me is an athlete's trust. Like you have the small business owners with the boosters coming together, organizing the funding around one, the objective of the fund is to, you know, basically produce a winning program. And you can define that any way you want. But I think, you know, to your point, it's like wins, it's, it's, the wins bring more good players. The, the players bring more attendance. The attendance brings, you know, better players. Again, it's just a, it's a, it's a positive feedback loop, right? Whole thing. Gets me pumped. Gets me pumped to hear well, you describe it that way. Carl's going to have that rant uh, made into a scroll and he's going <laughs> to put it on his wall next to his fireplace. Yes. <laughs> but the thing is, here's the issue. There's a lot of resistance to what you talked about and we won't get into all that now. Um, it's not so easy to convince Jersey that that's the way. And we got to work on that one. Yeah. I, I can't tell if it's because we're just, you know, like it's all the stuff you said, like there's a lot of other stuff occupying our time and energy and money. I can't tell if it's because we don't trust that process. I can't tell if it's just we're a bunch of cheap bastards. I, I don't know what the, what the, what the core of it is. It might be all three of those things. 
You know what I think is the way to position it and the way to frame it uh, for people is that, look, if, if you're involved in this process, if you're involved in joining this, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it, an alliance, whatever you want to call it, um, you, this is your only chance of being a GM of a sports team. You used to do it when you were playing Madden when you were a little kid. You wish you could be the GM of your favorite team right now. This is your chance to be a kind of a GM. You know, you get involved and we basically have a board. Who do we need to pay and how much are we allocating to pay them? You know, what's the quarterback room getting paid? You know, what's the offensive line getting paid? What's the defensive line getting paid? I think those are the three most important position groups, you know, on in, in this conference, at least. Um, what are we going to pay them? What are we going to allocate them? How much is, you know, Gavin Winstat worth? How much is Jacob Allen worth? How much is, you know, a five-star D tackle worth? You know, what, what, what should we be paying this person? And then, you know, kind of constructing a roster, you know, around that. I, I think that's the way to kind of frame it. You know, let people know that, look, this is like your team. You know, this is the only time you ever had a chance in your entire life to have a team that's your team where you really have a say in a team that is on national television, who is on the field. You know, I think that's the way to kind of frame it, but it's, that's, it's going to take some massaging. You know, some people are going to have to, you know, defer to others, right? You're going to have to, you can't just have, you know, all in, you know, too many cooks in the, in the kitchen, as they say, right? You know, you need to have somebody who is that head cook um, and somebody who is kind of, you know, leading the way. And who is that? You know, who wants to take the reins there, right? That's the question. And then who are people willing to defer to? for taking those reins. I think, you know, that person would have to be somebody who's probably really prominently involved with Rutgers athletics, but they can't be, you know, directly hired by Rutgers athletics. Cause that would probably be a conflict there. So is it, for instance, um, you know, is it, it can't really be a Mike Taylor, Eric LeGrand since they're on the radio. Um, could it be somebody like a Brian Leonard, you know, somebody like that? Uh, would he want to do something like that? You know, who could you get? That's really the question there. Um, and that's something that would have to be figured out. But I think that's probably, in my opinion, one of the ways to frame it, you know, frame it as a case of, hey, you're really involved. You're involved to the point where you ha actually have an impact on the players that go on the field on Saturdays for us. Yeah, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Let, let's let's start it up. So the, uh, we'll, we'll be that will be the official bank of anyone interested to uh, to donate towards Rutgers uh, getting players. Uh, the Venmo's open. Talk boardwalk. Uh, hit us up. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, so let's start previewing the game. Ohio State three and one. Uh, they've had three games, three home games, of which they've won two. They lost that squeaker to Oregon. Um, they also beat Minnesota away. And in my view, they have looked vulnerable this season. They looked vulnerable against Minnesota. Obviously, they looked vulnerable against uh, Oregon because they couldn't stop them. Uh, Oregon played a hell of a game though too to their credit. Uh, they looked super vulnerable against Tulsa and Tulsa stinks. Yeah. I thought to myself, if, if I saw CJ Stroud play at the beginning of the season, I said to myself, this is the first year Ohio state doesn't have a machine at quarterback. Like they've had, you know, JT Barrett and J Justin Fields and freaking Cardale Jones. They just had ridiculously good QBs. This is the first season where I saw that like their guy missing open players, overthrowing guys, sailing passes. I was like, this could be the season. I texted some of, uh, again, our friends group, and I was like, this could be the year where actually they're, they're vulnerable. And at that time, I didn't think we were going to actually challenge them. But going into this game, I feel like we can. What do you guys think? But what have you seen with Ohio State thus far? Do you, do you kind of agree? I, I've been saying, I'll let you chime in a second, Kyle. I've been saying this for years, and I, and I hoped it would happen. 
Uh, I, I honestly believed it would happen, and I think it is happening. I think we're finally starting to see it. I don't know if I've said it to you directly, Carl, or our group chat, but I've been kind of saying this to people that listen. I said that when Urban Meyer's guys are no longer at Ohio State, they're going to come back to the pack. There's Ohio State's always going to be good. They're always going to get five-star recruits, and they're going to be Ohio State. But Urban Meyer's Ohio State, is that's a different level of Ohio State. That's what we saw the last five, six years where they're an absolute, they're unbeatable. Like they're untouchable. They're basically untouchable for anyone in the big 10, not even just us. Like we're going to get, we're going to lose by 50 to them. Uh, everyone, you know, but no one, no one's going to, going to beat them. So I think that we're starting to see that. I think Ryan Day's Ohio state is not going to be urban Myers, Ohio state. And I think they are gettable. I mean, they obviously the talent disparity is going to be there. They're still more talented than us, but as we said against Michigan and like you pointed out before, Michigan is much more talented than us. We had the ball with two minutes left in the game. And I said, I definitely said this to our group chat. Uh, the, when, they, when we had the ball with two minutes left in that game, I was thinking, oh, my God, we're going to go down and score a touchdown and then go for two and win. And I was like, if I'm thinking that, you know, like, and that was me being an optimistic Rutgers fan, obviously. So every fan, you know, you're an optimistic fan or a pessimistic fan. I was optimistic in that moment. I'm usually pretty pessimistic about my teams, but Rutgers, this has just been, you know, giving me a lot of like positive energy lately. So I'm kind of giving it back to the program. The Giants, different story, but, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I know, I know for a fact every every pessimistic Michigan fan out there with two minutes left in that game looked at the scoreboard and literally thought exactly what I thought, which is, oh my God, they're going to come down and score and go for two, and we're going to walk out of here having lost to Rutgers. So I think I, I really think that Ohio State is is gettable. Um, I mean, long story short, that's 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 kind of um, where where I'm at. I don't know, Kyle, if you uh, you agree. Yeah, this year, um, I, CJ Stroud didn't in, impress me all that much. Um, obviously, he has a shoulder injury right now, and I took the time to watch uh, watch every one of Ohio State's games this year, uh, this week actually. I have a BTM Plus app, so it's it's relatively quick thing, but. Um, humble brag. Humble one of the brag. things that uh, that scares me, I would say, about them is that um, they do have a ton of talent. Obviously, um, this freshman running back they have, this kid Trey Henderson. I mean, he is a home run hitter of home run hitters. He's a true freshman. There could be a case to be made that he's legitimately the best running back in college football. He's that good, and his speed. I don't know what he's been clocked at in the forty. If you told me he has he has Chris Johnson, you know, old Chris Johnson, uh, Chris Johnson on the Tennessee Titans who ran like a 4-2 speed, it wouldn't shock me. This kid, if he sees a crease, he's through it and he's gone. So we have to fit our run fits really well. We can't have any, any you know, improper run fits or really for that point, just even leave a slight cutback lane because this is a one cut back that just goes to the house. Um, the thing that concerns me is we did stop the run really good last week, but we also – ran a lot of base D, you know, we, we had a lot of, you know, times where, you know, we had three linebackers in the game with fog, you know, Singleton and, and, and Tyreek Maddox Williams. I don't think we're going to be able to do that because they do run a lot of 11 personnel where they have one running back, one tight end. Um, and that third receiver, I don't know if we can have a linebacker on that third receiver, whereas we could against Michigan because Michigan's third receiver is not nearly as talented as Ohio state's third receiver. So, um, I'm going to be really interested to see that, how that breaks down. Um, them on defense, Ohio State on defense, um, 
They, they, they have a lot of question marks. Uh, their D-line, they've been very skittish. Their linebackers have not been fitting their run fits really well from you know the various games that I've watched of them. And I think there's an opportunity to expose them there. Um, the thing is, you know, their D-backs are very talented and they're really, really athletic. And we saw last week, our wide receivers were having a little you know, trouble getting separation. Um, so how do our wide receivers hold up? Can they get open? Can they get separation? The middle of the field is always wide open against Ohio State from all the games that I've watched. They, they do not defend the middle of the field well. The problem is we know how rarely we throw over the middle of the field. Um, if we're throwing those, you know, quick little jets out to the, to the sideline and, and, you know, tunnel screens and, you know, well, our version of a tunnel screen, which is like a tight end tunnel screen where the tight end goes in motion and, you know, sets up that, you know, mini tunnel screen, um, you know, is that going to work? I don't think so because they're a little too athletic on the outside. So, listen, I'm they totally tackle. confident in Sean Gleason. They, they tackle so well, too. The defensive backs, man, yeah. such like bulldogs every year. So that's a good point you bring up there. We're going to have real trouble there. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's hard to block them, these D-backs, because they're not only, you know, fast, they're big and strong, too. They get off blocks so easily. So um, our short pass game, you know, Noah's averaged, you know, only like five yards, you know, per completion this year, um, excuse me, yards per attempt. Uh, so the short passing game I'm, I'm concerned with because they're really athletic on the outside. But if we can gash them, you know, four runs, I think that's going to be good. They do not defend the quarterback run well at all. Um, I think, you know, Tanner Morgan, the quarterback for Minnesota, um, not that he ran a whole bunch against them, but anytime he did run, he was getting like, you know, six to eight yards a pop. Um, and I would say as, from a runner's perspective, him and Noah are very similar as far as runners. Tanner definitely has a, a better arm. But um, I, I, I think it's going to be interesting. The whole key here is can we, you know, be in the game at halftime? I think if we're in the game at halftime, if we're, we're within one score at halftime, I think the guys go into the locker room having a little juice. I think the fans, you know, remain engaged in the stands. And I think, you know, can we will them to a win in the second half? Um, I think if you just give us a little bit of hope with Greg Schiano coaching this team, we've seen, we've come out of halftime, you know, just dominating teams. We look like we were being dominated against Michigan. We come out and we just mop the floor with them in the second half. So if they give us any hope, I think we'll be able to, you know, give them a, give them a scare and, you know, at least put a scare into them. I'm not going to predict that we win. Um, but would it shock me? It wouldn't shock me, shock me. I mean, I don't think there's a great chance, but I've never said this before, you know, about it when we played Ohio State. What I, what I used to just think before is, is it gonna, are we going to be down by 30 or 40 at half? Now I'm thinking, okay, could we possibly have the lead at half, but would we, we be able to hold on to that lead? I mean, it's crazy how, how fast things change. It is. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I, I, was th I was thinking the same thing. I said, even if we only have a 5% chance of winning this game, which I think is probably a fair percentage, right? I was just on the ESPN app earlier today. Sorry to interrupt you, bro. I was on the ESPN app earlier today, and it basically the, the matchup predictor gave Rutgers a 23% chance of winning, which I was like, that's bananas. <laughs> but even if it was only five, that's 5% 5 more than I've ever thought we could win against Ohio State. So, yeah, I mean, but your point. So let's let's disentangle some of those points because I think you made some great ones, Kyle. Let's start with, with Ohio State's offense. So you mentioned the fact that it's going to be difficult for us to have three linebackers on the field because they run uh, a lot of one running back, one tight end sets. Great, great point. If they have three wide receivers on the field, there's no way we can have three linebackers because their three top three wide receivers are bonkers. Garrett yeah. Jackson, Smith, Nigbia, and Chris Olave. Chris Olave, believe it or not, 
has the third most yardage and he's unbelievable. He's like unreal. Right. So, I mean, good Lord, that could be a real problem for us. Yeah. And then they, I mean, they have two projected first round picks at wide receiver. So they, they are not lacking athletes there. And then, you know, the thing is, if, if we do go nickel, which I predict we will go nickel, um, we usually play two high safeties when we do go nickel. So now we're only going to have, you know, four down line. Well, of the four down linemen, one will be, you know, Ture most likely or Onyechi um, on the edge. And then we're probably going to have Fog and then, you know, likely O3, obviously O3. Um, so it's going to be really important that they're really disciplined because if Henderson can get to the second level, I, I like Avery Young. I really like Christian Izian, but this kid is a freak when it comes to speed. So if he gets to that second level, it, it, it's going to be dangerous. So we really need to be disciplined. And, you know, if we're not fitting those gaps as we should, um, it's, it's tough. It, it's a tough, tough offense to defend just because of the talent level there. Yeah, I do worry, too, about it. sounds like a little thunder and lightning situation because George Teague. Um, Master Teague. Master Teague. Master yeah. Teague, not George Teague. I've watched <laughs> that guy play for, you know, two, three years now. He's a beast, an absolute beast. The fact that he's their third running back yeah. and is just goofy, right? So they do a little a little something-something with Trey Henderson, kind of get the Chris Johnson thing going. Then they, they bring in the Lendale White, right? And, and yeah, I mean, if they really wanted to, they could probably pound us pretty good with those two. They try to soften up the, the interior line. But the, the one thing I will say about the Rutgers interior line and, and our defense in general, these guys, they are determined. I mean, they, they are. Have no, they have no quit. No quit. No. no. Mm-hmm. This, and this team in general reminds me a lot of 2011 where the offense was a little bit more immature but the defense was coming into its own. Like you can see it. We have our, some of our defensive players are just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And Christian Izian, you mentioned him. I mean, if he can do what he did against Michigan, which is basically prevent a chunk play from going for a touchdown. If he can do that against Ohio state, that will be enormous for us. Cause he was, he, I mean, there were guys running wide open across the middle of the field in the first half. And those mm-hmm. in, the, in the ash era, that's a touchdown. Yeah, like 100% of the time. But Christian Izian was able to run the guy down and tackle him and at least prevent him from scoring on those plays. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, the D, the D is they're not going to give up. Whether they're going to be completely outmatched remains to be seen. Um, it's possible, just given that they have, the, you know, Ohio State has this revolving door of phenomenal players and, you know, four, you know, four and five star linemen. But I, 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 I do like, I do like our chances if they, if they try to slow. So again, one of the things I liked about the beginning of the Michigan game was even though they were pounding us, they weren't doing it uh, at a super quick pace. So I thought to mm-hmm. myself, if it's going to take them that long to get down the field, they need that many plays to convert a touchdown. That's a good sign for us, you know, in this game. And I think if we see that early against Ohio state, that'll be a good sign as well. Yeah. The, the issue is Ohio state goes at a turbo pace. They go so fast. So um, you really don't have that much time to rest. I, a big key is going to be creating negative plays in early downs. So, and here, here's a good, uh, good storyline about this game. 2018, Ryan Day, it's very well known. It's, it's said that Chiano stepped away. Ryan Day let him go. Um, and this has been talked about, you know, uh, on, uh, on Rivals, Alex Gleetman had talked about it, that Ryan Day did let Chiano go after 2018. 
Um, he's like, listen, I need to make a change because this defense just isn't good enough. He wanted to play a one high and Shiano, you know, he wanted to play a different system basically. So you have to imagine, apparently the two have at least some respect for each other, but you have to imagine that Shiano really, really, it, it would, it would, it would really put a feather in his cap to be able to beat the guy with, with a roster talent, the gap being this big, you know, you know that he wants to beat this guy more than more than maybe anybody in, in the entire, you know, conference, you know, in the entire conference, definitely. But, you know, other than maybe if we played Tennessee in a bowl game, I think he wants to beat Tennessee more than any other school in the whole country. But um, there's got to be a little bit there. There's got to be a little bit of animosity. He, you know, they can pretend they have respect for each other, but Shiano's a very prideful guy, you know, getting let go because you're told you're not good enough at your job. Um, after what Tennessee just put him through, you got to know that's got to be in the back of his head. I, I hadn't I hadn't thought of that until you just said it. That's a, that's a great storyline. Um, yeah, I, I'm. Th- there's just an arrogance about Ohio State. Like there's just, and I, I don't know if, if Michiano obviously worked there, so I don't know if he sees it that way. But I've just always felt that they are such like they might be the most arrogant fan base in the entire country, and like they're definitely an amazing program and the, and one of the best of all time too. But they. I feel like they think they're Alabama and guys, you're, as you saw last year, in the national championship, you're not, you're not out. You're not even close to Alabama. Like they're like, there, there might be as big a gap between Ohio state and Alabama as there is Ohio state and us right now. Um, so yeah, I, I'm just, I'm excited. And Carl, actually, I just wanted to bring up real quick our, our trip to Ohio state. We took our first year in the big 10. Um, just, just speaking on the, the arrogance of that fan base. Um, we were we went to Ohio State Rutgers first year in the Big Ten. And Rutgers wasn't bad at the time. We put you know we had Kyle Flood I think was a couple of years on the job at that point. He still had some of Shiano's players, but early on with Flood things were good. Um, so we took the trip out there to Columbus. We did a little road trip out, and I remember Carl and I were at a bar in Columbus the night before the game. After a lot of heavy drinking, we we went we went and saw the Columbus Blue Jackets play that night. We we got heavily intoxicated. It was awesome. Um, but we, we ran into, I think, actually, Carl, I think we were at the uh, the frat house or we were at a bar or somebody. But basically, we took a sample of the Ohio State fan base. Like, how do you guys think tomorrow's going to go? And they, literally, every single person was like, well, I mean, we're not going to score less than 50. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you guys get, like, I don't know, 10, like 50 to 10. And, and Carl has just, like, looked at each other. And like, we're like, holy shit, these guys have no respect for us whatsoever. <laughs> like, none. And we, I was like, I can't wait like to see how this plays out. And then, of course, they won like 56, 17. <laughs> so, um, you know, they, they obviously have a right to be arrogant, but I was just like the nerve of these people. Like, um, yeah, it, was, like it was unique in a lot of ways. I mean, that obviously uh, there's just a general malaise the fan base showed towards, you know, the game. They didn't care. They knew. It yeah, was they didn't care at all. Conclusion. Um, when we went into the stadium, people were really nice to us. They're like, welcome to Ohio. Like, hope you have a great time. And it's like, why are you being so nice to us? Well, they're being so nice to us because they didn't make the shit out of us for, you know, two and a half, three hours. So there was no reason, you know, to not be nice, I guess. And then uh, the first video montage in the game, I wish I, I recorded it. It was a welcome to the Big Ten message to the Rutgers team. And it was just a video montage of Ohio State defensive players and offensive players drilling their opponents. It was actually a very well done video, but you know, it's like, it was basically saying you haven't played football 
you know, until you've played, you know, football in the Big Ten against Ohio State. That was effectively what the, the video was saying. And then, yeah, on the fraternity side, it's kind of interesting. So, you know, we're, we're just like basically animal house at Rutgers, our fraternity, but we are a national fraternity. So uh, we went to our chapter at Ohio State and we walk in there and the place is like a library. I mean, it's beautiful. It's immaculate. I was like, where's the booze? Like, and the guy's like, oh, this is a dry house. I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you people? Is, do you remember that, Brian? We're like, so where do you drink? They're like, well, we go to the bars. Like, what? what? Like, it didn't make any sense. So, yeah. We, 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 we go to these, we, you see these like sick houses they have there. And then you like meet the guys. You're like, oh my God, I'm cooler than all of you. Like, you, <laughs> might a, you might have a great house, but like you guys kind of suck and you're stuck <laughs> out. And, like, we're awesome. So, yeah. But yeah, it is, it is interesting. There's no doubt about that. No doubt about that. So, it, so we just, we just went through the, uh, uh, the offense a little bit now. We, and we talked to, again, the defensive side. Um, what do you think we can do to, take advantage of some of the defensive deficiencies that they've got, if any. Do you think we can do kind of that zone read game that, that Bedrill was was working in the second half? Yeah, they don't defend the quarterback run terribly well. So I think, you know, Bedrill, I mean, he, he read it really, really well last week. So if he can do that again this week, I mean, that would be huge, obviously, um, because I do think they do, they, they oftentimes do leave alleys that you can expose. So whether that be Pacheco exposing it, I actually think personally that Manungai would be the back that I would roll with in this game because Manungai, he seems to have really, really good vision where he'll see a hole and he hits that hole and he'll, he'll get forward on that hole. Um, Pacheco seems to, you know, kind of, you know, just uh, he thinks a little, I think, too much where, where he's going to yeah, go. That's so true. Manungai just runs downhill, straight line. Uh, yeah. And, and then the other thing I think that we can expose, and, and Noah's really actually really accurate over the middle of the field. That's where he's probably most accurate. We've just not thrown over the middle of the field a ton. Um, they leave the middle open a lot. So if I was, you know, and again, Sean Gleason knows a lot more about football than me, and I'll never know half. He's forgotten more than anything I'll ever know about football, but especially offensive football. Um, I would, you know, try to expose the middle of the field. Um, is that with Haskins? You know, is, is that with, um, is that with Shameen Jones? Is that with Crookshank? Um, who is that with? I don't know who it's with, but I would Isaiah expose the middle of the field. Let's get little Isaiah Washington. Actually. Isaiah Washington. Yeah. yeah. The other thing I noticed too, they play a lot of man on the outside, a lot of man. So oftentimes I did notice, um, Tulsa in particular, they, they were kind of hitting, you know, um, hitches, like just a six yard hitch and doing so rather easily. And I would like to imagine our wide receivers are probably at least as good, probably better than the Tulsa wide receivers. So, and especially with the speed we have on the outside, I'm sure they're, you know, aware and cognizant of the deep threat that Bo does pose. So I don't think they're going to be, you know, overplaying their hand and playing him up too tight. So, you know, maybe hitting that, maybe doing a little, you know, play action, you know, read option with, you know, you know, maybe an RPO where, okay, I see they're in man out there. We're just going to hit Bo on a quick hitch. Um, and hey, if, if we can get six yards a pop on a hitch, I'm okay with that. I mean, obviously you want to pop some big ones too, but um, if they're giving it to us, you know, let's take it, you know, rather than, you know, do something else. Because they, again, look, at the end of the day, is this their best team that Ohio State has had over the past five years? No, it's not. Um, but is Ohio State's worst day better than most teams' best day? Yeah, just because of the talent level that they happen to have. So um I'm totally confident that Gleason is going to be able to expose some of the deficiencies that they do have. Um, but what I'm really excited for is if we can have this be a game going into the second half, what is he going to pull out of his bag of tricks? 
because you know that if it's still a game in the second half, they're empty in the bag and they're going all out. They're going to try to make this, you know, make something happen here because there's going to be a lot of recruits at the game. Um, you know, there's a really, really pretty extensive list of like really top tier recruits that there's two four stars coming from Florida. Uh, uh, Todd Bolson, I forget his name. He's like a four star linebacker. And then there's this uh, four star wide receiver coming from Florida as well. On top of that, you have, you know, that kid Chase Bissonitis, the, the offensive lineman from Bosco. Well, look, if, if we can have a good showing against Ohio State, that will help immensely with recruiting. And hopefully it's a raucous environment for these kids to experience as well. That is so true. We, we, we will absolutely em- empty the bag. It's a great point. I loved the, the fourth quarter last year when you had, you know, like those special teams. Yeah. Plays. That Bo Melton touchdown was freaking awesome, man. I like loved every second of that. I think I like jumped up and, and yelled really loud when he scored that touchdown. So yeah, totally agree there. And uh, you know, actually before we get before we give official um, predictions, let's talk about the X factor, and that is to me special teams. I think if if we have a five percent shot here, it's gonna be through some making some huge plays on special teams, like maybe a punt return for a touchdown, kick return for a touchdown, perhaps even blocking a kick. To me, that's gonna be an absolute must if we're gonna knock these guys off. And I think we do have an advantage there. I don't. I mean, to my knowledge, they don't have a kicker that's going to put it to the back of the end zone every time like Michigan had. Um, so at least we'll get to return them this time. The thing is, uh, Ohio State intentionally kicks it short of the goal line because they believe their kickoff team is so elite that they will be able to tackle you before you hit the 25. So we will have those opportunities. But to be honest, their kickoff team is so good that I would actually even have Crookshank fair catch it. Um, that's how good wow. their kickoff return. Wow. That's, that's, that's how good their kickoff team is. I know it's like telling crazy, Devin Hester to, to what they do is they kick it to one side and they load that entire side up. And that's why that trick, you know, play on the, on the kick return or the punt return does work because they force everybody to one side, they leave an entire other side open. So we could throw it back. I mean, that, that's the way that you would break something on a kick or punt return, because if you're not doing some trickeration, you don't have a shot of returning a kick against them, really, because that, that, their, kickoff, their kickoff guy, their kicker, kicks it sky high, and it lands on, like, the two-yard line perfectly. This kid must practice this a thousand times a day because he does it perfectly every single time. And by the time you catch the ball, the whole kick team is at, like, the 25 already by the time you even catch the ball. So it, uh, it makes it tough. It makes it really tough. So, yeah, unfortunately, I'm not really banking on anything happening on special teams. Because uh, Ohio State really is pretty elite on special teams. You know what, Kyle? I don't like your negativity. <laughs> Crookshank to the house, baby. Let's go. I hope so. Nothing on punts either? You don't think we, we have a reasonable chance of converting something on a punt return? I, I just – I mean, we did last year. We had uh, Avery Young throw it back to Bo, you know, for a touchdown. Um I think they're going to be ready for it this year. I mean, they, they saw it last year. I think they're going to be really, really ready for it. But I also think, I mean, they're so good with kickers, with punters, that they might just angle it right towards the sideline so that it goes out of bounds on like a 45-yard net and the first the ball lands two yards out of bounds. So, I mean, they're just they're so elite. at If Ohio State, if there's one thing that they're always elite at, I mean, they usually have a really good offense, but they're always super elite when it comes to special teams. Well, that's kind of, yeah, that is kind of a sobering thought then. Because I, I thought that if there was going to – Buzz Killington over here. Well, to me, to me a, big, a, big, a big kind of 
gap that can be filled is through special teams because we have such good special teams, but it sounds like they're even better. And I, you know, honestly, hadn't really paid much attention to the Ohio State special teams. But now that you say it, I can't really think of of any time in recent memory where they've given up a big play on special teams or a touchdown, I, you know, like Michigan gives up big plays on special teams all the time. They did, like, they did it to us last year. They, they totally gave up one last year. Yeah. They, yeah. They, we just did it to them. Yeah. That's the only, but yeah, but aside from that, I, I can't I think. I mean, of, it, the, it was the trick. It was kind of like the trickeration and stuff though. too. it wasn't like, it was like a straight punt return, but I, I will say this, listen, they might have great special teams. I mean, I, I don't follow Ohio State special teams as closely. There, I will say this: at, at a minimum, it's a wash. At a minimum, because there is no, I, I, there's no one, there's, there's no team that will have a better special teams than than a Greg Shannon coach team. Like they might be even, and they might have better players, but we're not, we're certainly not going to lose grandma in special teams unless it's come, unless it's place kicking. Maybe yeah, that's that, that, that's we're usually – I mean, a Greg Shannon team is usually – you could say, oh, we definitely have the edge in special teams, right? Unfortunately, against Ohio State, to your point, you know, you're going to say, like, it's, it's, it's like a wash. So you take right. away that advantage we normally have. All right, so with all that in mind, prediction time. Uh, Brian, you want to start, and then Kyle, and then I'll give mine. All right. Um, well, I think uh, Kyle down there, he already kind of said he wasn't going to pick Rutgers. I mean, this is a Rutgers podcast for fuck's sake. Like, come on, guys. Like, let's go. Like, if anyone dares a dream, if anyone dares a dream, it's got to be us. No one – I will say, this team – and I've been messaging with some of the players back and forth that we've had on the show. They're all awesome guys. They're all interactive on, on Instagram and everything. They're earning the respect right now. They're earning the respect of the college football world. and. They did a little step last week against Michigan, and people are starting. We got AP votes to get ranked now. Like we didn't have when we were three and zero, we did not have AP votes. After people saw last week, we got six. I think I think the hard work of all these kids is finally about to pay off. Like the the, the kids, like the Mike Tverdovs, the, the ones who have been there for some of these horrible years. And they put in the time. I think. I think this is going to be their moment. Rutgers twenty-one, Ohio State twenty. Let's go! All right. So, I've been. Uh, I have a lot of people coming to our tailgate this week, and my pitch to them is that we are going to beat Ohio State, and that's why you can't miss this tailgate and you can't miss this game. So, my official prediction is Rutgers wins twenty-nine twenty-eight. We go for two with less than a minute left in the game, and we nail it. And then we get a uh, we we end the game on a sack, and it's pandem- pandemonium in Piscataway Part Two. Easton Ave is shut down, and uh, basically the players are parading down Easton Ave after the game. Oh, the rope of dope! We thought you were going to pick. We thought you weren't going to pick Rutgers, and here we are. All right, <laughs> Carl. Carl, you're going to make it an even hat trick of homerism. I love that. Yeah. So last week I picked. I thought Michigan would win. I picked Michigan by seven. I, I said we were going to be right there, uh, one score game. Um, this week, for some reason, the, the score 26 to 20 keeps entering my mind. And I'm not sure why. I don't know if that's a premonition, if that's just like, you know, early onset like dementia. I'm not sure what that is. But <laughs> it just keeps coming in, man. It's really weird. And I have a feeling, I have a strange feeling that we're going to be down 26 20 and have the ball in the fourth quarter 
Now, can we score that touchdown and make it 27, 26? I'm going to say, yes, we can. I'm gonna, <laughs> so I like that. I think, tw- you know, 28, 28, 28, you know, the 28, 27, 27, 26 is my official score, but I think it could be something like around there. I think if we can keep them under 30, we can definitely win the game and sweep by them. So 27, 26. I agree. We keep them below 30. I think Sean Gleason is going to find a way to manufacture, you know, enough points to win. Yes. Listen, listen, listen. As long and listen, I want. I we all. I think we're gonna win. I do. I just have a feeling. I have a good. Listen feeling. to me, man. Listen. To me. I've been. I've been. I've been. I've been punched. I've had these good feelings before. I've been punched in the gut like everyone else that's a Rutgers fan. But even if we like that situation that Carl just outlined, like rang a bell in my head of like, I just need to give these guys doubt. Like we like what we did to Michigan last week. Like even if we don't win, right? Like, I just need Ohio State fans to feel that, oh, fuck, we're, we might lose to Rutgers, like, late. Like, I want, like, with two minutes left, we have a, we have the ball in a chance. So that's enough for me, and I'll, and I'll be – I mean, I'm going to be proud of these kids no matter what, the way they've fought this year. But that will be – I just need that that moment, that, that moment of doubt in the Ohio State fans. And I actually want to share one more little little anecdote from our trip, too. And this I think this is a good good note to end on. If you, I mean, you guys can – if you have anything else, you, you can bring it up. But – um. So Carl and I and my brother and um, another friend of mine, we went to the Columbus Blue Jackets Calgary Flames game the night before the Rutgers game, and we're you know we're in Columbus and we're like all right like we'll we'll you know we'll root for the Blue Jackets we'll root for the home team and you know we get up there and it's kind of quiet like there's not no one's really starting any chance no one's really it's like damn these people like it's a hockey game like your your team's playing like is anyone going to start. Is anyone going to start any chance? Like, let's go, Jack. The only one they kept doing was CBJ, CBJ over and over. So we started, like, trying to, like, get the crowd riled up. And, you know, we kind of were, like, making a name for ourselves in the section we were in. And uh, my brother just stands up, like, towards the end of the game in the third period. And, you know, we're not, none of us have any Blue Jackets gear on. We're just wearing whatever clothes because, obviously, we're, none of us are Jackets fans. My brother stands up in the middle of the third period. Let's go, Rutgers! And everyone just looked at us like, "Oh, these motherfuckers!" <laughs> so it was, uh, it was an awesome moment, and uh, you know, I, I just, uh, I have a good feeling about this weekend, boys. I really do. You got to bring the juice. Bring the juice on Saturday. Hopefully, that place is jumping. Hopefully, uh, CJ Stroud has to sit out because of the, of his ears popping, let alone his, uh, his shoulder popping. So hopefully we have his ears pop on, uh, on Saturday. That would be nice. Hell yeah. I mean, when we get going, we are the most, one of the most hostile places you can possibly play. Right. And we've changed games. We've seen it happen. So we could definitely do it on, on Saturday. There's no mm-hmm. doubt. I'm pumped. I, this is the most excited I've been for a game since 2015 Michigan state. Yeah. In six years. It's crazy. I'm jacked up. I'm jacked up. Get out there, Rutgers. Get out there, Rutgers Nation. Let's show them. Kyle, pleasure having you today. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thank you, guys. And let's hey, love lovely accent, New Jersey. Peace, Jersey. See you, guys. <laughs> See you.